So how's it going, Laura? Oh my, I'm looking forward to getting this one kind of out of the way. I know that's not the best energy to bring to an episode, but oh my God, this one was just... It was it, it was, was a bit much. Um, yeah. It um. We'll we'll get into it, I guess. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award. Um, moral- pageantry of time. Pageantry of time. That's much more uh, generous than the. Uh, than the uh, moralistic scolding, I guess, that we get from this movie. <laughs> well, that one's more accurate, for sure. <laughs> we are rating and reviewing every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this is episode number 046, Cavalcade. It is a Yay! cavalcade of something, um, of woe. Yeah, of real... Classes to BS, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, and that's I I noticed that you're really latching onto the the whole classism of it, but it is it is prevalent. But I almost feel like that's like a a minor detail to to the rest of the issues with this movie, which did win the uh, the actual best picture. It is not a nominee. It is a uh, winner. Of course, it did. Anyone who saw the Oscar year where King's speech won over social network would not be surprised that this. Oh one. man. Yeah. So um, what we do in this uh, podcast is uh, instead of just kind of griping and moaning about what we have to do with this movie <laughs> is um, <laughs> that's my job. What we do is that we are going to review the plot of this movie and give our little two cents as we go through it. And uh, just, you know, our, our little our own personal observations. You might differ in opinion if you've seen the movie. Um, I would be a little bit surprised if you have seen this movie. It's not the most um, popular um, best picture winner and definitely not even the best uh the best watched of this year so far. So, oh heavens no! So yeah, we're we're gonna have to reach into the minds, or at least what we believe are the minds of the Depression era American public, to understand why this could have possibly won the Best Picture award. Uh, so after we review the plot, we're going to rate this movie on different categories, such as the acting, the writing, the cinematography, and give it an, an overall rating, which kind of gauges how those pieces work together to form an overall product. And after that, we'll give the movie a chance for some bonus points with costumes and set its boldness, its legacy, its longevity, and any kind of a uh, technical uh, achievements that it's has that it has. And uh, so with, uh, with that explanation out of the way, shall we get started? You know, we've put it off long enough. Let's just dive in. By the way, uh, usually it is Laura who writes the scripts for these. And and by usually, I mean almost always. Um, I think you've done it for every single one except for The Patriot, which was an episode that you weren't a part of. So that that yeah, makes sense. And uh, at the early episodes, we didn't even use a script. So uh, for most of the early ones, there just wasn't one. So 
But right. yeah, uh, you do most of you do all of the technical stuff. So I figured it'll be my little way to chip in. Right. And I, I only bring this up because um, you you don't hold back on this script. I, I'm just kind of glancing through it. And um, your your dislike of this movie is not uh, hidden. Which which is OK for nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I say that as I start off with the script describing Cavalcade. A pompous, overlong, and full of royalist classism, it is no wonder that Frank Lloyd's adaptation of Noel Coward's Cavalcade won Best Picture of 1933. It is Oscar bait before Oscar bait was even properly defined. And this is true. And it's funny that you notice that it is, you consider it overlong when it really wasn't, it was overlong, but it's not that long, really. I think it just falls under sh- just short of two hours, which is uh, kind of long for this era, but not not epic in it the sense. It felt like four. <laughs> yeah it it doesn't have the best arc to it. I'll I'll just say that up top. Mm-hmm. It um it starts and stops a lot. It's a lot of little vignettes in a way. Um which is fine. That can work for a movie. It doesn't have to have one big overarching plot. I can see that's the thing. I can see what they were going for. They really dropped things at the end and throughout the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I see a universe in which this was a decent movie. Um, probably not best picture going up against things like little women and and uh yes and things like that but um it's uh it's a project that was very kitschily put together and that's that's my big issue with it it really just kind of focuses in on your emotions and if you don't have the emotions of someone from the 1930s then it really falls hollow for you. And it's not, it's not even the emotions of the 1930s. It's the emotion of 1899 is where this is right. emotionally set throughout. And if you're not like a rich upper-class family that receives a lordship in London in 1899, I just, I don't find it very relatable. And I, Yeah. Ugh. So, Speaking of, uh, the movie opens up on New Year's Eve, 1899, as you mentioned, in London, uh, where an upper class London couple, Jane and Robert Marriott, played by Diana Winyard and Clive Brook, who we have. Have we seen Clive Brook in in something else? Yes, already? he was. I We've seen him, I think, in um, East Lynn and uh, Shanghai Express. OK, he's actually. He does not impress me much ever, but I think he does a better job, you know, as his character grows older. I think he's very good at playing an older British man than he has played someone actually his age. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and he does age throughout this as, as does uh, Diana Winyard. Um, so they arrive home early and they have gone to a party, it seems like. And they're there to toast the new century. Joining them are their caricatures of faithful servants, 
the married couple Ellen and Alfred Bridges, played by Una O'Connor and Herbert Munden. Uh, I am always going to have um, a soft spot for Una O'Connor because she plays the hysterical uh, maid Minnie in one of my all-time favorite movies, Bride of Frankenstein, just two years later. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, she's obviously has a lot more energy than both the Marriotts put together. And Herbert Munden is pretty good, too. Yeah, they're they're both great. And um, the the movie is it's partly about them, too. It's not exclusively about the Marriotts, but they are definitely a lot more relatable, I guess. As relatable, but it, yeah, as the kind of but lower class time, people. Right. Excuse me. Go ahead. <sighs> No, it's just, yeah, but the relatable, but at the same time, we are also supposed to look down on them and think they're ridiculous. That's true. And I'm just like, no, they're the only people who actually work hard in this movie. I'm not going <laughs> to shut up. Yeah, they they sure are. And, you know, they're they're very uh, concerned about the, the people that they serve. Um, at least at this point, uh, they're very dutiful servants. So uh, against the backdrop of this new year of, in 1899, um, the Boer Wars are starting and both Jane and Ellen tearfully say goodbye to their husbands. Uh, and for Jane in particular, she has a hard time in her husband, husband's absence, unable to stand even her children, the boys Edward and Joe playing soldiers with their friend Margaret, uh, Margaret's child, uh, Edith. So. Yeah, and the children also joined them for the toast to the new century and everything like that. So it's clearly set up to be a like this is a story about this family in the new century. So that's that's hammered home pretty well. And the yeah. children are odious. I really do not like these children characters. The the acting is oh, it's fine. They're children actors, but the um the children just act and say the most horrifying things, especially, I mean, I guess if you're a a 1900 British child, you are very comfortable with bloodshed. Um, He, he asks uh, if, if their dad is going to chop up, uh, chop up the boars in into little bits during the boar wars. And uh, they're very eager for these gory details, which, you know, that tracks with children, but is also just kind of horrible. It's horrifying. And, you know, they're also privileged little white boys. So, yeah, they can get away with saying anything. I did notice that, like, Jane just doesn't really seem to like her children that much. And we're supposed to sympathize with her as this great noble mother. But, you know, once her husband's gone, she's just like, oh, get them out of the way, you horrid children. I much prefer her best friend, Margaret, who's a lot more easygoing. Yeah, she uh, is. Yeah, Margaret is a lot more fun. And it's also funny that, uh, well, not funny. It's also tedious that at the start of the movie, they have a little blurb because, of, of course, it's the kind of movie that has a little blurb at the start. And it's about mm-hmm. and it talks about how this is the story of a family seen through the eyes of the mother, you know, that that, you know, stalwart bastion of the family. And Jane is not. I mean, you the movie really isn't from her perspective, really. I mean, parts of it are. I didn't really think so. Parts of it are. And and parts of it are benefited. I feel like the movie would have benefited if they had really used her or some other character as a strong perspective. But I think part of the reason it's hard to 
on my end to get emotionally attached is there doesn't really seem to be like a focal character that we are kind of vicariously living through in this movie. So that even makes it less relatable, at least to my, my perspective. Right. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, So moving on. All right. Moving on. The war goes on, uh, but it does end. And both Robert and Alfred arrive back safe and sound. And Alfred reveals that with Robert's financial help, he's to buy a pub of his own from a fellow officer. The good news is dampened by Queen Victoria's death, which all those royalist twits sincerely mourn. Uh, even though Robert's knighthood is a welcome distraction. I do have to say I'm a fan of the children, like, eating cake on the balcony, watching the procession. One of them drops it on a woman's head. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, take that, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to judge them uh, too harshly. Uh, not not as harshly as you, because, I mean, Queen Victoria had been queen forever. So yeah, it's, I guess I mean, it'd be a little bit jarring. Adjustment. Well, it's not like the political landscape's going to change or anything because she didn't have anything to do with that. Anyways, that's for a whole other discussion on a whole other blog about how the royal family makes no sense in this modern day and age. If, if you want to learn more about anyway. Queen Victoria, you can check her out on the Rex Factor podcast. There you go. For good episodes. Oh, yeah. As demonstrated by a running motif of the pageantry of time superimposed over the screen, which is basically just kind of Arthurian looking figures on horses. Just. Yeah. That was a weird choice. Yeah. uh, Pretentious as heck. Uh, A couple years pass and we visit the bridges at their pub. We're told that without the stern hand of his betters leading him, Alfred has become a degenerate drunk. So super respectful to the lower classes. This movie's as obviously, uh, he humiliates his wife by arriving drunk in the middle of a dinner with Lady Jane and runs after his dance-obsessed little daughter, Fanny, into the streets. As she dances with the buskers, little Fanny is unaware that her father is plowed down and killed by a horse and carriage. So it's a very strange interlude that just leaves a bad taste because it's implied that if only this man had stayed in his station and served uncle under Lord Robert, he never would have been led astray by by having by you know running his own business and making his own money. And I'm just like, and come it has on, guys. it has um it has anti-alcohol overtones as well. It's just like, well, look what he did. He started a public house. And I'm I'm sorry, like there are pubs all over, and I'm not going to feel this like moralistic outrage that he started a public house instead of being a loyal servant. Um, and you know, plenty of people run pubs and, uh, don't drink away their profits and, uh, plenty of people, um, you know, get run over in the street and, uh, it's not their fault. He was just drunk, but there is this kind of, um, there's this kind of sense that he was cut down almost for his transgressions. And for oh, yeah. oh, for yeah. not being like, a teetotaler, basically. <laughs> There's a lot yeah, of I'm honestly surprised this movie was so popular because I mean prohibition was definitely not popular at this point. My guess is all the older generation 
conservatives loved this movie and they were enough to put this over at the box office because I can't see the same audience that loved 42nd Street thinking this was all fine and dandy either. I mean, come on. Yeah, there's definitely that sense, uh, even though it is a British movie, um, that there are definitely pro-prohibition old-timers out there that are loving this movie and saying, like, see what happens now that we're allowing public houses again, this guy got ran over in the street. Well, yeah, it's like all the people who just like uh, fawned over that uh, uh, Green Book movie that won Best Picture a few years ago. Like, oh, good old fashioned tell of white people actually being okay to black people during the 60s. This is the kind of old fashioned movie we like. And it's mm-hmm. always the same. They're the ones who, for some reason, always influence the voters at the Oscars. They have all the money. <laughs> well, and and also just the the Academy is is conservative period. And uh, I think we might've even talked about this way, 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 way back in our very first episode, but there is just a natural tendency because people are there for a very long time that you are going to get this older, more conservative audience just by the nature of the beast. Um, Exactly. And so you have people voting in this that are used to prohibition and were there when all those arguments were being made. And, you know, still, even if they don't believe in prohibition, period, there's still a stigma attached to um, the abuse of alcohol, which, you know, it you shouldn't abuse alcohol for sure. But there's this kind of idea that it's this social um, problem rather than an, an individual medical problem for sure. Uh, yeah, I agree. Very moralistic, this movie at times. Uh, noxiously so. Okay, so moving on. Um, another pageantry of time passes after poor poor bridges is run over by this horse and carriage. And we see Edith win a prize for dancing at a seaside fair where the bridges. Oh, actually I meant to put Fanny, da- Fanny down there instead of Edith. I get the two mixed up. Fanny, the daughter of Alfred and Ellen, the former servants. Edith is the daughter of Margaret Jane's much cooler best friend. That's my oh, name. right. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I, I lose track of all these names as well. I, I had to kind of like sit yeah. down and mentally kind of like, all right, that's Jane. Okay, that's Robert. And, and if you and, can't follow along at home, don't worry about it. Yeah, they all kind of are dressed the same um, depending on their station in life. Uh, so it is uh, it is Fanny who wins a prize for dancing at a seaside fair where the bridges once again run into the Marriott's. So the, um, that would be uh, Fanny and Ellen. And, um, you know, and I think well, the, the Marriott's. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, the Marriott's are Robert, Jane and all those people. Right. Right. The rich people. The, the last time that these two met up, I believe is the day that uh, poor, poor Alfred died. So there's this kind of weird interaction, but um, Ellen kind of like shows off that like, hey, look, Fanny won this prize, which is a cute little teddy bear for doing her dancing. And um, that's obviously going to be a theme throughout the movie is that, you know, Fanny is into dancing and and is really into it. Um, 
we also get to see, of course, the Marriott's again. Um, the oldest son, Edward, played by John War- Warburton, is now in love with Margaret Lindsay's Edith. So the the two the two playmates that were of this, you know, wealthy friends, um, they're now in love predictably. I, I even yeah, saw that, that coming surprised. when, when they were kids, like I bet that that young lady becomes a love interest with, for one of these two young gentlemen. Um, I expected a love triangle, but none of that. It's that all that would have been interesting, but that, no, no, that would have been interesting. So can't have that. Um, yeah, that's another big problem with this movie is that it's kind of dull. Um, oh, it's terribly dull. It's uh, it's predictable, and mm-hmm. it's I don't know. There's just not enough conflict. the The bad things that happen don't happen because of anyone. It they just happen because of life, which I guess is kind of the point of the movie in a sense. But but when uh, but that makes all the characters passive, and when all the characters in a piece are passive, it's like, why am I supposed to be attached to these people? Why do I care what they do if nothing they do matters? It's all about just what happens to them. Right. Um, so anyway, a couple of years later, you know, we see the the passage of time and whatnot in April of 1912, to be exact. Um, the the newlyweds, or are they are they just are they wet at this point or are they just in love? Uh, they, they say it's their honeymoon. So oh, right. Wins. Okay. See, I've forgotten even that. Um, <laughs> I guess it would I mean, be, it's gone over so quickly. I, uh, you know, I, I guess I should have figured that, uh, you know, unmarried running off on, on a big boat is probably not okay for their station. It's just not done. Uh, so this is Edward and Edith on their honeymoon uh, in April of t- 1912. They're on board an ocean liner on their honeymoon. And uh, Edith waxes raspotic about how how long will their love last as the years pass by. And she mentions she wouldn't mind if they were to die tonight because she's living in the moment and everything like that. And of course, foreshadowing. Uh, lucky for her, it turns out that the ship they're on is called the Titanic. Da, da, da. And I have to say, I'm actually, yeah, kind of impressed by Margaret Lindsay's performance. I mean, Edith isn't a big part, but they at least give her this, you know, interesting monologue that's a little too on the nose considering they're on the Titanic. But it's not a terrible scene compared to the rest of the Drek. No, she is actually... Um, a little bit incisive and and critical of the institution of marriage itself, where she kind of says like, I I wonder if we'll have affairs because we'll, we'll obviously fall out of love a little bit as the time goes on, which is a very cynical mindset to have going into a marriage. I kind of feel like this conversation probably should have happened before they got married, but she, yeah, she strikes me as far more interesting than Edward. Edward is just kind of standing there with a dumb little smile on his face. Like, hey, dear, you and your funny little thoughts. It's like, Edith, you could have done better in your short life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The two the two boys are are tedious. <laughs> they are awful. From beginning to and end, they're not likable. Yeah. And now 
It is 1914, and the Marriotts and Edith's mother, Margaret, played by Irene Brown, who I think is also very good, are doing their best to put their children's deaths behind them. They're barely mentioned, out of sight, out of mind, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, They regret that times aren't changing, that there are no servants around to tidy things up after they come back from vacation. Guess what? I don't care. (laughs) The one remaining son, Joe, uh, played with such lack of charisma by Frank Lawton, talks to his father about the progress of another, the prospect of another war. And his father, as all upper-class British dudes back then said, assures him that the conflict with the Germany won't last longer than three months, at the most. Oh, of course. Uh, of course. Uh, to Jane's utter despair, war is then declared, and Joe eagerly enlists. Yeah, that's horrifying, um, which, you know, you're supposed to. They they might have played it up to 11 a little bit with this gun coast. Like nothing bad is going to happen with this great war. Um, of course not. And uh, obviously this this moment in time was still weighing very heavily on the public, as we've seen from mm-hmm. all the movies that we've covered that cover World War One and how it, you know, that sort of thing scars generations um and uh apparently the boer war was not enough they they had to uh that was not enough to dampen joey's uh excitement over going off and i i guess marching around is what he thought they would do um but uh pretty much yeah, that's uh, Jane. Jane's utter despair is pretty much the only realistic um, reaction to have. So we kind of figure that she's the one who has everything on the ball, even though it is also kind of presented as like, oh, she's a historic hysterical woman. So she's going to think mm-hmm. it, she's the one who's the pessimist and always thinks everything bad is going to happen. Um, yeah, she's kind of a bummer. I mean, obviously, she has the most understandable reaction, but she's just such a bummer throughout. Yeah, not like Margaret. Margaret's cool. Margaret's cool. And she raised a cool kid, so there you go. Yeah. Wish wish the movie were about them. Oh, God, I know. So, on his last night before heading out to the front, Joe goes to a nightclub with his friends. There he sees a beautiful young dancer and learns that it is Franny, Fanny Bridges, all grown up and played by Ursula Jeans. Um... And it's also kind of harrowing and I think an important bit that they are at this nightclub where there are recruitment songs. So trying to get people to uh, to sign up, especially the young men. So we have these uh, lovely ladies dancing around talking about how they they went out with all these soldiers and they're all great. And I can't wait to like, you know, to, to be with soldiers. And I am a sexy lady, so you should sign up. Yeah, because when a sexy lady tells you to go to war, you go to war. I also find it pretty funny that, uh, you know, the Fanny starts dancing like, oh, she's a great dancer. But really, all she does is sashay around with a big feathered fan. But I guess that's all they needed back then. Oh, she she gets the high kicks and things like that. She's I very guess. she's very flowy. A lot of uh, I mean, she is it, very she's fluid movements. Yes, and in a flowy dress, which is a, a decent part of the dance. Uh, <laughs> All uh, in the costuming. Yeah, so Joe and Fanny have a disturbing meet cute 
when he hides behind her dressing room door and stands frozen as she comes in and undresses uh, right away. Um, yeah, it's like, what was your plan, Joe? Like, he all officially gets there. I mean, nothing is going to end well. She's going to freak out if you jump out playfully at her because she has no clue who you are. And, if, and then, you know, you're like, oh, she's undressing. It's like, so he tries to speak out, but is caught. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, you know what would have been cool is if he arrived at her room and Jess was there, visible, and said, hey. Maybe knock. Maybe knock on the door. Yeah, or yeah, wait until she goes in and then knock. But anyways, um, she sees him and after many startling uh, questions, uh, learns who he is. They, They flirt and then there's an air raid. And instead of sensibly deciding to join everyone in the basement, they decide it would be romantic and daring to watch the air raid from the rooftop. And this, this is as this and Zeppelin then they explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, the Zeppelin is is flying over over London, and you kind of get the sense that this this is supposed to show that they are uh, on the same wavelength of being daring and kind of going towards the danger and maybe being a little bit reckless. But um, they're they're the types and that that idiots. go out and see the air raid. And then explode because they went out on a rooftop during an air raid. No, unfortunately, neither of them explode. Instead, we get a montage of World War One's devastation. Uh, Joe gets to leave and visits Fanny. The two having fallen in love. And also Fanny is doing quite well in her career. It's like I am such a fan of Fanny and the Bridges family just kicking butt. Uh, in the world by their own their own hard work yeah uh, no, yeah we're supposed to look down on, yeah. i like that we should i don't prob- think we're supposed to look down on fanny yeah we're Sorry, supposed to, yeah as as morally bankrupt as a dancer but she and um and ellen is doing all right for herself running the pub um and yeah so they actually grow in in their developments um they're still kind of looked down upon by as this kind of lower class um, riffraff, I guess, in a sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I also wanted to go back just, just a couple of sentences and talk about the montage of World War One's devastation, um, which I thought was that was the art moment for the movie. Yeah. And it would have been. I thought it was pretty good. I would give it a B um, because yeah, it was all right. we we have seen um, so many amazing and beautiful and heart wrenching uh, portrayals of World War One. But uh, so it's it's kind of outclassed. But at the same time, it is an interesting little montage of the uh, recruitment dancers uh kind of superimposed over this vision of marching soldiers going in and in and in under this tunnel um, or under this bridge. And uh, just the constant views of them marching and marching and marching and sometimes dying, getting blown up and then cutting again to the singing recruitment dancers. It's, it was kind of jarring in that it's like, Oh, wait a minute. This is some, this, movie finally has something to say it's a very safe thing to say um Mm -hmm. because you know people did not like world war one and it was it does kind of fit into the theme of um the moral decay of humanity during the the 20th century um but 
you know, and, and so many lives were just crushed and ruined by World War One that you did have to kind of start over in a way. And this is also, I think, maybe the first time that we that we see a um, a religious poke at everything with a you have a crucifix appear next to the marching soldiers at one point. Um, it's that part was a little bit jarring because it hadn't been particularly pro or anti-religious to uh, up to that point. So, um, but I mean, I guess it is, it it is kind of talking to the audience of like, this is the, the immoral war and, and the things that we did. Um, and don't we feel ashamed? But, uh, deeply, deeply. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's an effective sequence, definitely. I mean, it's just a little underwhelming after having just seen a farewell to arms and, of course, uh, all, um, quiet. all quiet on the Western Front. It's like, um, okay, you know, yes, this is effective, but it's in a movie that doesn't really bowl me over in all. It so was, I can't help but see it in the light of better movies about it. Right. It was low-hanging fruit, for sure. It was not. Yes, exactly. It, it's not challenging. All right, so he's visiting Fanny and uh, mentions marriage, but she tells him that would be impossible. And he, she does point out, I don't think your mom would like it. However, she does give him a locket with her picture, and he leaves her, returning to the front. There he visits his father, who was station manager. I think it was, it was a pretty sweet scene. They wish each other luck and uh, mentioned that, oh, it looks like an armistice is coming up. Well, we'll be back together soon. And they depart. And yeah, some months later, an armistice is reached. Yeah, that's a harrowing part too, and and also just hammering another thing that's low hanging fruit. A lot of people at this point knew that people were talking about an armistice well before the armistice was actually signed, and they even um, they even show the part where they decide, all right, on on at eleven o'clock and eleven minutes past eleven on the eleventh of November. We are going to stop fighting. Let's synchronize watches now because, hey, guess what? A lot of people died still between the talks over the armistice um, and the official time that they decided to sign the armistice. People were getting shot. Um, Yep. People people knew this now. And it was just like another just epitome of how stupid this war was and how just horrific. It's almost like. Huh, we've reached an armistice. Let's call it right away so that we that sooner we can stop the freaking war. Right. Or call but a no, ceasefire while we watches. talk about it. You know? Let's make it real ceremonious, because that's what what's important to us. Ceremony. <sighs> Meanwhile, uh, right before the armistice is reached, uh, Ellen visits Jane, having found letters Fanny and Joe wrote to each other. Ellen says Joe should marry Fanny and is insulted when Jane demurs. And I really don't like this part and how Ellen is is portrayed. She's suddenly portrayed as this like full of herself, ungrateful uh, uh, person who uh, doesn't show Jane any of the respect she deserves and flat out says, you don't think your, your child's good enough for my Fanny. And I'm like, throughout, Ellen has suffered a lot of condescension from Jane that we're supposed to just see as Jane being friendly to her, to her lessers. And I'm like, Ellen has every right. I mean, what she does is bad. She goes behind Fanny's back, but I think it's just so out of character for a person who 
had seemed genuinely fond of Jane to suddenly uh, right. seem like, oh, all these years away from service have turned her in, and being an independent businesswoman has hardened her character so much. I'm like, this is BS. Right. It just doesn't feel right. And Jane is supposed to be the saintly uh, one who who says, like, no, I don't interfere with my children's affairs. Which like, whatever you totally would if you'd known first. <laughs> I just very, very probably. However, the point is a null one. Jane receives a telegram that Joe has been killed. She faints. Later, she wanders through Trafalgar, Trafalgar Square's armistice celebration in a daze. And it's a pretty haunting shot. Like, she kind of, it's almost creepy. She kind of starts, like, waving her arms around frantically because it's the armistice, but her face has such horror on it. And then she just kind of, like, slumps and everything. And it's... I am not really fond of Diana Winward's uh, performance throughout, but I feel like that is that's pretty effective. Yeah, she has a little noisemaker and everyone's celebrating everything like that. And, you know, the reality of it all is is that it's fake. Um, yeah, that both her sons are dead. It sucks. So after all that hoopla, uh, we are then whisked away to the present day being the the early thirties. Um, that is to say a decadent, gaudy, body, sporty, early thirties. Woo. Um, we, uh, we see various, um, various, uh, newspaper headlines roll by as, and some of them are hilarious. Uh, and I, oh, I, God, even, yeah. what was the one you pointed out? I, I even screen capped some of them. Um, so at one point we see the the headline divorce 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 and world suicide wave and sex murder dramas. Uh let's see. Um husband and wife murder, the age of unfaith, vice orgies increasing. Vice orgies increasing. Woo! <laughs> uh people of all colors and creeds are able to hang out together expressing their sexuality freely without shame. For example, we see a loving lesbian and gay couple canoodling each other. Um, however, we're apparently supposed to think that all of this is a bad thing. This, this new, uh, I, I guess just being able to be yourself, um, without judging people. Terrible. Awful, awful people. Um, and, uh, we're supposed to think, this is all a bad thing as evidenced by Fanny sadly singing 20th century blues and Robert and Jane toasting the new year with a wistful remonstrance of these dangerous changing times. And then we zoom out onto a cross that's all radiant and silhouetted beautifully. And I'm just like, good God, thank God it's over. Yeah, I and again, that was jarring to like just the appearance of the of the crucifix um, while the soldiers were marching was like the the other religious uh, portrayal as well. I guess there's also a um, a as the newspaper headlines are running by and they're showing all the strife and everything like that that's going on. Oddly prescient, by the way, because there are headlines talking about a new world war, which. Um, which does oh, happen, true. by the way. Yeah, um, it does happen. It just uh, just a couple of years, but um, and much earlier for for Britain than it was for us. So obviously, I think a, a British writer, British uh, setting would have have that more on their mind than we would at that point. 
But, uh, yep, that's the end of the movie. It ends with a glowing, shining alien cross on the top of a cathedral somewhere. And, um, it's probably a famous cathedral that I just don't am not aware of. Um, but I just, it's just so frustrating because that wild vice orgy that we saw looked like it was the only place I wanted to hang out in this whole movie. And now I'm being told that it's a sign of our degenerate times. Like, well, good, good. Yeah. I'd rather the, be degenerate than the 20th excuse. century blues is about, um, well, I mean, that's just the, the movie is about just this family going through the first third of the 20th century and how bad everything is. So it's basically grumpy old man yelling at cloud sort of movie. It really is. Everything was better when we ruled the world with an iron fist and uh, the lower classes knew their places and the black people and gay people just, you know, just didn't exist. Apparently didn't exist. Yeah. Cause the, the first time we see anyone of color is, is in that, is in is in the twenties and sporty early thirties. Yeah, it's in the orchestra playing for Fanny as she sings about how awful everything is now. God, ugh. So not a fan. I think that might be a good cue to start rating this movie. Um, yeah, let's let's dig into it. This movie, which did I have to remind everyone, did win the best picture for. What are we on? 1933 and 34? Yep. All right. Good times. Um, acting. How well do we think that you did with their acting? Oh, man. I'm going to give it a five. Five. I don't know. I Clive Brooke grew on me as the movie went on. Um, I thought him and Diana Winwood were just so wooden and just totally lifeless together i mean she was so stagey and just unconvincing you know she she did have her moment uh with in the trafalgar square sequence um with her done you know numb with grief um you know the una o'connor i think is really like likable like i said in bride of frankenstein but you know i mean she's supposed to be pretty shrill here and she is and that's not exactly fun to watch um the person who impressed me the most i think was margaret Lindsay as edith and mm-hmm. she only has one big scene and that's too bad because i thought she was the most convincing uh frank lawton as joe is just like i told you he reminds me of um hugh laurie's character in the world war one uh black adder series <laughs> without the charisma yeah. So yeah, just overall, I just was not a big fan of the acting here. So I might, yeah, I might even give it a four, actually. Just oh, be really four. Um, all right. Uh, that's pretty bad. I, I'm going to give it a five. Um, not just representing that I don't think it's wildly better. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm giving it a five because, uh, like all the things that you said, none of these characters were terribly likable. Um, they were better actors than maybe I could have been, but yeah. that's not saying much maybe. because I'm not professional. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a four and a five for acting. Going on to the next category, how do we feel about the writing? Disappointed because this is 
based off a Noel Coward play and apparently it's, you know, very accurate to the source. And I don't have a lot of experience reading Noel Coward, but I've heard that he was, you know, a gay British man known for his wit. And here he is writing a bunch of homophobic, boring garbage. So I was very disappointed in the writing. And so I think I'll have to give it another four. I just think it was, it didn't go anywhere. There were no clear arcs. And the families that decided to focus on the Marriott's were boring, no fun, classist, pompous garbage. And um, the Bridges started out really interesting, but then they went this lazy route of turning him into a degenerate drunkard and her into um, pompous and full of herself and shrill. And it just did not feel earned. So, yeah, not a fan of the writing in this. And I didn't notice anything resembling wit in the dialogue. And that's what you're known for, coward. Yeah, yeah, it was. I was surprised that it, it was based on an old coward play. Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't really... I'm not a student of Noel Coward or anything like that. It's just kind of like when I was looking at oh, the credits, I was like, Hey, I know that. I know that name. Um, maybe, maybe this thing won't be so bad. Maybe it'll at least be some engaging writing and everything like that. But it really, it wasn't, it went for low hanging fruit no. constantly. It just wasn't, mm. it was, it was easy and, and kitschy. And I, it's tackling was, I wish things were like they used to be. Yeah, Which pretty is much. Just, if you're rich and white, yeah, of course. Of course the past will always seem better to you because that's when it served you best. But for everyone else, progress might actually be a good thing. Right, right. It's a good point. I'm So I'm matching your four for the writing. Okay. Uh, not, not doing great, Cavalcade, so far. Um, uh-huh. Let's go on to the cinematography, which was... Uneven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they do some things that are kind of artsy, like with the montage and the running motif of the pageantry that is, I guess, kind of interestingly lit. But at this point, it's nothing too revolutionary. Uh, I guess I'll give it a six. I don't know. Oh, wow. I tried you, a little. You read my mind. I was just writing down six. Uh <laughs> It was it was better than the acting and the writing and the six. That bumps it up from from a four. And that was solely the the World War One era with some interesting shots mm-hmm. and and just that montage. that was pretty effective. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guys who are starting out, you see their smiling faces. And then one by one, you see them get shot and fall down. That's, you know, not hard not to be affected by that. It was well shot. OK. So our last category is overall. Um, how well does this work together as an overall product? Um, I, I guess four is the number of the day. I mean, it just good production values are really all I can say about it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it didn't look amateurish or anything like that. It just mm-hmm. looked lazy. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Just artistically. Um, as yeah i'll have to match your four i was even debating a three but it's not it's not um it's not old arizona bad or anything like that it's just right it's just not very good than that yeah yeah it's tone deaf um 
tone deaf. Like it doesn't go for the outrageous offensiveness of an old Arizona or even our detested Trader Horn. But that's because we're in a more upper crust world where, you know, everything has been, you know, whitewashed over so that we don't have to see the nitty gritty awfulness of like colonialism. We just see the how it benefits the people it's made for, which is just as bad in a wholly different way, really. Oh, do you hear the dogs? Yeah, he agrees with me. <laughs> or else he's yelling his objections. Um, right. And so at the end of the major categories, we have Cavalcade sitting at a measly 37, which actually equals <laughs> um, Cimarron, which had, I feel like, a lot of similar elements in that it was big. I agree. It was uh, show offy and it also won <laughs> Best Picture. Um, True. I mean, I'll give it to Cimarron. At least it, I mean, it didn't do it very well, but at least it tried for a more progressive point of view. Sort this of. This just wanted to be like, old things are better than new things. Yeah, I like, guess. So I guess in a sense. Um, but both both kind of presented as epic um, going mm-hmm. through time. Um, so, yeah, similar movies, both sitting at a 37 going into the bonus rounds, which I think think at least in some categories it might do a little bit better that category oh, being agree. our first chance for bonus points with the costumes and set um it was a, it was a period yeah. piece and the the costumes did look fun it looked fun i'm gonna give it uh actually a five mostly for the sets i uh, didn't realize uh but when i was looking over the trivia the um it was filmed all in california and oh. they really were able to evoke uh, a London. I mean, and the crowds they got for the the uh, for the various war scenes and the departure scenes, the procession scenes were uh, very impressive. So I will give them that they did. Like I said, the production values in this are very good. Uh, yeah, I was going to give it a four, um, but. As I try to go through my mind as to why I wouldn't give it a five, I couldn't really come up with much of anything. Uh, none of nothing looked weird and anachronistic. Um, uh, generally, this is the category that these movies have done really well in. So, um, yeah, costumes no, and sets. Surprise. Good job, um, especially with the set. It turned out um, I was not aware that that this was all done in California. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, that's good. Good job, Cavalcade. Uh, let's see. So our next category is boldness. Uh, I am going to give <laughs> it, it a zero. Zero bonus points. Donut for me, too. Zero. It oh, was it's like negative points, please. Right. It was very easy. It did not challenge you at all. You were meant to just feel angry about how things uh went downhill at the first third of the 20th century and in many ways it was correct um you know the great the great war was not so great no and lots of people suffered needlessly but because of characters like robert marriott who didn't take it seriously and who got cushy jobs where they didn't have to worry about putting themselves out there so it just it takes all the wrong points about why it was a terrible disaster 
And I, I mean, and also at the very end, they do touch on the economic collapse. So yeah, that's, that's also something that's bad. They don't really pin down why the economic collapse happened. They kind of suggest that it was all because of moral collapse, um, which is, which is just tedious. It's not, it's not challenging anyone anywhere. Yeah. And it's also not how wall street works. Okay. I mean, it's just, yeah, I, uh, so, um, no bonus points for being bold. How about legacy? I, mean, I guess I feel like I do have to point out that the language, they did say hell and bloody, but I guess the code actually, uh, Hayes coach was just, I was like, oh, we'll allow it because, you know, it's for a good reason, you know, to, to demonstrate oh, sure. just what treacherous ties are. It's like, whatever. No bonus points for me. Sorry, but go on. Okay. So moving on to legacy. Um, hmm. Actually, I'm going to give it another zero because according to IMDb, this is like the least rated, least popular best picture winner. Oh, really? That is so that kind of apparently it was hugely popular at the time. But it's an example of something that I guess was really popular in its day, but disappeared real quick from the public consciousness. So. All right. Because we're not yearning for 1899. It's dated right out of the gate. Um, so it's not going to have that staying power. Um, uh-uh. And, you know, there's there's going to be movies that we watch now that are kind of in the same boat with uh, with being really relevant to the time and maybe not being so relevant as we move on from from 1899 or 1999. And if it's not going to be relevant, at least make it entertaining, you know, <laughs> put some jokes in there. Yeah. Uh, for legacy, I am going to give it one point. Uh, and that one point is for, as you pointed out in your summary, it does kind of set the tone for Oscar baits. Uh, so, well, that's a good point. <laughs> it, uh, it's not, I guess it's not a good point. It, it is, it is, <laughs> but technically it exists. <laughs> yeah. Technically it does. It, it did have some sort of impact on the formula that we associate with uh, Oscar winners now, even today. All right. You talked me up. I'll give it a one, two, just for that. Oh man. We're, we're changing each other's minds a lot in this one. Um, not, yeah. by, not by much. But how dare you talk? How dare you talk me to raising a point for this turd? My God. All right. Uh, longevity, I guess, as you pointed out, it is, the least favored of the best picture winners. And you can see why it's kind of the anti uh, longevity movie, because as we just said, it's a movie for 1899. It's kind of outdated the moment it comes onto the screen. The moment it comes out. Yeah. The fact that it was popular as it was at the time is boggling to me. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a zero because you know me, I love old movies. I can like really slow paced things. So if I'm like going, oh, why won't you end like just halfway through the movie? I don't think your average audience member today is going to have and much more fun with it. So zero for me for longevity. Yeah, zero for me as well. It's it's the anti longevity movie. Uh, <laughs> yes. Let's see. And our last chance for bonus points is 
technical. Uh, I'll give it a five, actually. And a part of really? that is, again, because they were able to do to evoke London uh, so well in California in the 1930s. Um, so and I thought, they, so and I, you know, the music scenes, the play scenes, those are all I think the sound and everything was really good there. So, again, you That's know, point. good production values, Cavalcade. That's all you're getting from me. <laughs> I am going to drop down a lot, actually, because I feel like um, I think we've covered the bonus points for the set, and I wouldn't necessarily consider that um, technical stuff. And the the scenes that I feel like would be special effects and things like that are not effective the the zeppelin does not feel terribly threatening for example and i feel like if they had made it threatening then it would have made this scene a little bit more interesting and have a little bit more of an impact but you get into the headspace of of fanny and joe and you don't feel like they're terribly reckless because the the zeppelin is just kind of a sound and you get some some pictures of a zeppelin zipping along it's it's not great. And as the soldiers go down in the f- First World War uh, montage, it doesn't feel real. It feels fakey. Um, and I'm actually going to give it a. Oh gosh. Um, I'm going to give it a two. Um, it had some good shots and. Like you said, capturing the um, the dance cinematography and uh, and, you know, the there's one particular scene that I remember where they have the shot above the the Red Cross train as the train kind of goes underneath the camera. You see the the Red Cross appear on it. Um, I'm not going to give it technical points for the glowy cross at the end because that was. No, that was cheesy. That was dumb. Um, that was artistically dumb. Anyway, so that's that's my justification for two points. Um, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that puts Cavalcade, the winner, at <laughs> remember that folks, 50, the actual winner at fifty six points, which puts <laughs> it in the same league as um, it got ahead of Cimarron. Um, yeah, I guess it was better made. The production values were better, but that's really about it. And um, let's see, it puts it two points ahead of one hour with you with uh, Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I would definitely watch Maurice Chevalier over this. I mean, not happily, but I would. Yeah, one one point ahead of Maurice Chevalier. Um so that's, that's and that's saying something. If if Laura says that she'd rather watch a Marie Chevalier movie over uh over this historic epic, it's it's not great. Which of course brings I us to the final question. Do you think that this deserves a nomination for our own prestigious Notsker Award, a movie award podcast movie award for movies? Man, Frank Lloyd, the director, would really have to bribe me up good. Uh, because he's dead and he can't. No, I am not going to give it a Oscar nomination. I am also not going to give it an Oscar nomination. It was, 
it was as you pointed out in the beginning, overlong, uh, very preachy, moralistic, and just basically grumpy old people telling these new 20th century kids to get off their lawn. Um, it was just, just no, it, it, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't really speak to any greater truth or anything about the human condition. It's basically, we dislike these days and we wish that they were back to the good old days under Queen Victoria. Under Queen Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what makes it just so insufferable is that it thinks it's saying something important. It thinks it's saying something profound. It thinks it's the voice of a generation that needs to be heard. When in reality, this generation was so heard that it influenced literature and plays and everything for the longest time. And we're really only now just starting to realize that all this colonialist garbage is just that garbage. So it's, it's complaining about something that, it wasn't even a thing like it's complaining still rich yeah it's complaining about a threat that wasn't a threat and as evidenced by them by by them being just fine at the end of the movie really um yeah just fine except every once in a while they have to see a man holding another man's hand and maybe a black orchestra and if that's the worst thing you have to see maybe you don't have as many servants as you once did and you have to carry your own tickets uh, when you take a, when you take one of your vacations, it's like, if that's the worst that happens to you, along with losing your two sons, but they weren't, they weren't. Yeah. But those were, this. and those were incidental. I mean, it, not, not yeah. the war, not the war death. Uh, the Titanic death was bad luck. Um, yeah. And the war death, um, I guess that meant something, but again, we've seen already much better world war one criticisms. In, mm-hmm. in entire movies that spent all that time uh, explaining it. So, <laughs> yes, uh, no, no to Cavalcade. And with that, I think we are done with our episode. Uh, if you would like to tweet at us, we are at ComebackAStar. If you would like to email us, we are ComebackAStarPodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to connect with us on Facebook, which some people do sometimes, it is uh, come back a star. If you just search for that in the little search bar, our page should come up. And as I always say with every episode, we should probably engage with that more. But uh, but we don't. Yeah. Um, we don't. If you have enjoyed this podcast or have enjoyed us not enjoying Cavalcade, uh, <laughs> please share the podcast with your friends. That's uh, what we really depend on is word of mouth and people just sharing this with with their other movie loving uh, friends and family members and, you know, uh, just make it something to share and discuss. And if you love Cavalcade, if you're one of the few people who do, we would love to hear from you and hear how we are wrong or something we missed, which is always possible. How we, uh, how we mispronounced various words, which I think we might have. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And, uh yeah we're we're open for for feedback and criticism uh you can also leave that feedback and criticism in itunes reviews and that also kind of helps us uh get seen a little bit so we we do this for the love of it uh we hope that you've enjoyed listening to it as well 
even when it's a real stinker like cavalcade, it's still fun to talk about afterwards. Have fun with the hate. Absolutely. And with that, I'm going to turn off this projector. I'm going to draw the curtains and bid you all goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>